Welcome, inclusion allies. You are listening to the Sip and Sam Inclusion Coffee Talk, a collaborative conversation focused on creating inclusive opportunities for all students. This podcast is brought to you by the Supporting Inclusive Practices Project, SIP, and Changing Perspectives. We are your hosts, Janelle Mercado and Sam Drazen. A special thank you to the California Department of Education for funding this project, along with the El Dorado and Riverside County Offices of Education for their ongoing support of inclusion for all students, including students with disabilities. If you are committed to being an inclusion ally, this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining SIP and Sam Coffee Talk today, a collaborative conversation addressing barriers and innovative practices to inclusive programming. My name is Janelle Mercado, coordinator of the Supporting Inclusive Practices, and Sam Drazen, executive director of Changing Perspectives, is joining us today, and I'm thrilled to begin this crucial conversation. Thanks, Janelle, for that introduction. I am too. I really feel like now more than ever before, it's so important that we uh, start these conversations to really help to educate, engage, and inspire all of us to be inclusive change makers of tomorrow. But I'm ready to get started. And for all of you listening in today, this is a conversation following an amazing series of professional learning that Sam presented for the Supporting Inclusive Practices Project. And if you might have missed it, you can catch the recorded webinars on our SIP resource page. Go to www.sipinclusion.org. So the questions that we're going to be discussing today um, were asked by attendees of the professional learning event. So Sam, are you ready to jump in? I'm ready. Let's jump right in. Let's do it. So Sam, in your presentation, you talked about ableism and the importance of framing language as an inclusion ally and in a way that does not perpetuate ableist thinking. Can you provide suggestions on how to interrupt and reframe ableist language? So also, what type of questions might folks ask when talking to individuals with disabilities about their personal preferences, wants, or needs regarding language usage? So I'm so glad you brought that up, Janelle. And um, if I remember correctly, in those presentations I did for the Supporting Inclusive Practices Project, there was a lot of engagement uh, through the chat and through the Q&A around this idea of language and the power that language possesses in both helping us create inclusive environments and simultaneously the power that language has in kind of perpetuating exclusive uh, environments for, for individuals with disabilities. Um, and I think when we, when we consider ableistic thinking um, and how to reframe uh, an ableistic language, I think one thing that I would really go back to is the idea of the social versus the medical model of disability. It's really important that we understand the social versus medical model because that's a way that we can help to kind of reflect and evaluate on kind of what perspective 
uh, an individual's bringing to this conversation? Are they coming to the conversation of inclusion and disability from sort of more of that medical model, which is, you know, people with disabilities just need to change and need fixing to adapt to the way our society is designed? Or are they coming to it for more of that social model around, okay, how can we change our current structures and systems to better adapt uh, those with disabilities? Um, so I think one of the biggest ways to really reframe ableistic language is for us to better understand ourselves, what this means, and be able to kind of be grounded in some of these theories that can help us better interpret or understand kind of the perspectives someone else is bringing to this. Mm -hmm. Great point. Um, and often, you know, it can be a challenge to have the courage or vulnerability to stand up and interrupt or reframe some of the ableistic language that unfortunately is commonly still used. Do you have any suggestions for folks to help them with the language usage or how to interrupt or reframe the language so that we aren't perpetuating those cycles? Yeah, I think one of the best ways to start is to repeat back to someone what they said, rather than combating it or coming at it from a defense, defensive standpoint, being able to return the, the what they said and say, so it sounds to me what you're saying is, and be able to reframe it in language that is going to be more inclusive. That's a great suggestion, Sam. So what type of questions would you suggest asking when talking to an individual with a disability about their personal preference, wants, or needs regarding language usage? In your professional learning, you recommended, and it was a great suggestion, ask a person how they want to be referred or um, anything that you want to know about their disability. So do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, I think one of my biggest suggestions um, with that is when you ask those questions to an individual with disabilities is really frame it in a very open-ended way and frame it in a way that puts the ball, uh, puts the conversation in their court. So, you know, rather than saying, you know, do you want me to refer to you in person, first language or not? Say to them, you know, because that's giving them a specific choice. Say to them, how would you like me to refer to you as? Um, and I also think when we ask those questions, we can't assume that we know what their wants or what their needs are. So we really have to frame the questions in a very open-ended way to provide them with the independence and ability to respond uh, in a way that really is true to them and, and their wants, needs, and preferences at that moment in time. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, in the presentation, we talked about the use of harmful language and that there's language and terminology that is currently being used, unfortunately, still today. Um, and so the question is, can you provide some phrases or words that you would suggest just folks remove entirely from their vocabulary? 
Definitely. And before I say that, you know, I'll just preface that, that this is, you know, based on my kind of perspective <laughs> and my personal and professional work in this area. Um, sure. I think that there's a lot of harmful language or language that perpetuates uh, ableism, perpetuates a negative perspective of disability. Um, mm-hmm. So some of those words or phrases that I hear sometimes um, that I would suggest removing would be words like handicapped, um, the term special needs, um, the R word, obviously, retard or retarded. Um, those are those are kind of the three ones that really uh, jump to mind that are ones that I think if we could eliminate those that would help move uh, inclusion and just a more strengths-based perspective of disability going forward. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, we hear this, Sam, I know that this is from your personal experience and your uh, perspective, but also when, you know, you you hear from individuals in the community and in the disability community, and um, you, you will hear folks who have differing perspectives and opinions, but there are some very common themes. And those that you just mentioned are the those that I hear probably most often. Um, but, you know, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, ask people from their experiences what their preferences are and what language so we can constantly be learning and growing. Language around disability is always changing. What mm-hmm. might be deemed acceptable or politically correct in 2022 may not be acceptable and politically correct in 2025. And right. so it's about kind of going into this work with really a growth mindset within ourselves and recognize that we are always learning, we're always adapting, um, and that the biggest thing that we could do is keep an open mind, keep an open heart, and really be aware of you know kind of what comes out of our mouth and how we can tweak it going forward to kind of continue to push for a more equitable and inclusive and just society. Absolutely. And I would just add and listen to the voices of those who have personal experiences, exactly. because that that is where we need to to learn and grow. I mean, exactly. one, one can't relate unless they've had those personal experiences. Right. And I think, you know, we're going back to ableistic perspective and an ableistic perspective is someone without a disability assuming they know right what an individual with a disability needs or wants or how they want to be referred to so in your last presentation you talked a lot about positive representation of individuals with disabilities in media and society and we've we've really come a long way i mean we we are seeing more and more in television shows and um, on networks and interviews and movies, we're seeing more positive representation of individuals with disabilities. Can you suggest resources and ways to help others become an inclusion ally and improve the representation of individuals with disabilities in and beyond schools? How can we incorporate that in a school setting? Definitely. I think that's so important because part of what we're trying to do is not just make schools more inclusive 
to students with disabilities, but we're trying to make society more inclusive to all people, both with and without disabilities. Um, within a school, one of the things that I think is really important is making sure that disability is represented throughout the school building. So really kind of walking around your school with kind of the lens of disability representation and look at the posters in the hallway. Look at the posters in the classroom. Do the posters show students with disabilities? You know, we want students to feel like they are represented in the curriculum material, in the pictures on the wall throughout their school building. So I would really look for, you know, the posters and the pictures around the school. The other thing that I would really highly suggest is working with your school librarian to ensure that there are books in the school library that represent, that include uh, characters with disabilities. And there's a growing and growing number of, of books, both picture and chapter books out there that include characters with disabilities. So work with your school librarian to do an assessment of what you have and look for opportunities to um, encourage, uh, encourage the purchase of new books. In terms of beyond school, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is encouraging friends, family, neighbors, coworkers to watch some of these TV shows, to watch some of these movies, right? We want this to become commonplace, not something that's kind of um, trendy, if you will. So outside of the school setting, I think one of the biggest ways that we can help to um, support greater inclusion of individuals with disabilities in the media is by encouraging our friends, our families, our coworkers to watch some of these films, to watch some of these TV shows. You know, maybe you have a... Um, uh, a screening party or a virtual screening party and you talk about it with a group of people afterwards. I think really the sharing of information is is one of the most important things that we can do. Um, the Ruderman Family Foundation um, is a foundation, I think, based in Boston, Massachusetts, and they've done a lot of work around advocacy and policy uh, for Hollywood to include more uh, uh, greater representation of actors and actresses with disabilities. So that would be a resource that that folks might be interested in checking out. I love that. And I love when we can see movies or TV shows where the person that is doing the acting acting is truly a person with a disability. Um, and I, and I just love that more and more you're seeing folks being hired in Hollywood to do this work. And it's just furthering the inclusive opportunities for individuals. So going back to the book list, which is a great suggestion. Um, I wanted to remind folks if they weren't able to join the series that changing perspectives, Sam's um, organization created a snippet of a book list of uh, potential books that could be housed in your school libraries that we added onto the Padlet, which can be accessed on our resource webpage. So again, if you weren't able to join the professional learning series that Sam presented on, you can go to www.sipinclusion.org click on our resource webpage, you will find the Padlet that we are referring to and the book list that Sam recommended. Sam, do you have any other suggestions? No, I 
book list is pretty comprehensive and I would just encourage folks to continue to look like the, there's more and more books being published every day uh, mm -hmm. that are featuring um, individuals with disabilities. Great. So for those educators out there that are creating an inclusive, supportive, free of judgment learning environment, can you recommend ways to begin discussions with students about honoring differing abilities and disabilities within the classroom? So how can we start normalizing difference? How can we have candid and curious conversations with and amongst our student body? That's a great question and a big question um, and a question mm -hmm. I get asked a lot. Um, sure. And, and then there's no one answer to this, but I think we do need to, um, first of all, help teachers to provide teachers with st strategies and resources where they feel more comfortable and confident facilitating these conversations, right? That's the number one key thing. We have to start kind of changing the paradigm that disability is a negative, right? We need to look at disability and, and promote disability from more of a strengths-based perspective rather than a deficit strengths perspective. But to really get to the root of your question about, you know, how can you begin these conversations? Um, first of all, you really want to think about low risk to high risk conversations. One of the things that I've seen schools do is they'll sometimes get so excited about this work that they jump into a high-risk conversation right away and it doesn't go so well and mm -hmm. then they're really afraid to ever do it again. And mm -hmm. so it's really about doing this in a very intentional and scaffolded way. So right when we start, before we even start talking about disability, let's just start talking about difference. Right. Mm -hmm. Difference in opinion, difference in likes and dislikes. So, for example, a very low risk conversation might be let's just share our favorite breakfast cereals. Right. Like I'm sure you would feel very comfortable telling me your favorite breakfast cereal right now. And so would I. That's very low risk. Sure. You, know, you get to higher risk conversations. You're talking about share what school subject is hardest for you. Um, you get to higher risk, share what accommodations you need to be successful in life, you know, things like that. So really looking, you know, the, the way that I frame this sometimes is that you want to go about this the same way you would teach math or reading, right? A scaffold and an intentional approach. So I would really start with low risk conversations that are really focusing on difference. After that, I then suggest moving in and talking about visible disabilities because it's much easier for students to naturally understand and be able to empathize with visible disabilities opposed to invisible. So go from general differences to visible disabilities and then to those invisible. So for those of our listeners who may not have joined the professional learning, can you talk more about what you mean by visible and invisible disabilities? Sure. So I like to think about disabilities as falling into two groups here. Disabilities that are visible, meaning when you look at somebody, you at first glance notice that there may be a difference. Um, so those might be uh, individuals who uh, uh, need, uh, who might have a physical disability or a mobility challenge. Mm -hmm. um, 
opposed to invisible disabilities, which are uh, when you look at someone, it's not obvious from the outside that they might have some sort of disability. So that might be individuals who have learning disabilities, uh, maybe uh, individuals who um, uh, have a hearing impairment and it's not obvious from the outside the way their ears look. I love I love what you talked about going from low risk to high risk. And some of those questions in between are questions that truly, as teachers, we would gain so much insight by asking all of our students questions like, what is it that we did today in the activity or the lesson that we that we did? What helped your learning? Like those are just great questions that not only give us information as teachers, but help kids start to get insights about themselves. Or the next day, what is it based on how you feel, rating of one to 10, how engaged are you? And what do you need to feel be more engaged today? Those are questions that we would wanna ask any student but give us information about one another, insights, etc. Oh, a hundred percent. And so much of this work, although we're talking about students with disabilities, this work really benefits all students. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and by doing that kind of work, you know, at the beginning of the school year, right at the start of the year, you start to build that comfort within your classroom. You start to build the foundation and the respect in terms of how we engage and have these conversations. So when you get to the higher risk conversations, when you get to maybe talking about invisible disabilities that are prevalent in your classroom or school community, it's a much more successful uh, conversation. And I think it's really honoring and celebrating the differences in every student, right? I mean, we all bring something unique and incredible to the learning environment. Although we learn differently, we look differently, we act differently, but being able to celebrate that and celebrate wins and failures, creating an environment where students know that Failure is a part of the learning process. We're all here to support and celebrate that so that we can help each other learn and grow. Exactly, exactly. So I think our last question that came up a lot in uh, from, from attendees from the last professional learning event is for educators that want to make a more deliberate effort to invite individuals with disabilities into conversations and in decision-making, what are some ways to approach the conversation and make sure that they feel included? Yeah, about kind of transforming our places and spaces to be authentically inclusive. And when we think about authentic inclusion, I like to think about it in three different areas. We have academic inclusion or the content we're talking about needs to be inclusive. We have physical inclusion, which are those places and spaces and sensory inputs. And we have social inclusion, that sense of belonging. And so when we consider how individuals with disabilities can be involved in kind of decision making around maybe the school or society at large, I think we have to consider how do we ensure that the content that's being presented is inclusive? How can we ensure that the space that we're meeting to have these conversations is inclusive? And how can we ensure that that sense of belonging is really kind of uh, tangible, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. feels a sense of belonging. They all feel like their voice is being heard and they're a part of the group. 
So specifically beyond that, now that I've kind of set the the stage there, the framework for this, I think one of the things that we have to do is consider uh, opportunities for explicit invitation and it and, and valuing multiple perspectives in a given conversation. And the mindset that what an individual with a disability might share, although it might come from them, we want to get back to that idea of UDL or universal design for learning, that I think sometimes people take what an individual with disability might say and just assume that they're saying it because it's just going to help them. And that, in fact, really listen to what they're saying and consider how does what they're saying not just help them, but actually assist and make the world a better place for everybody. Sure. So what what's necessary for some is incredibly beneficial for all in many cases. That's a great way to summarize what I just said. <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I think what I'm hearing you say, too, is how important it is to lift up the voices of every student and how valuable that can be for us as educators. Ask our students Ask our students and really think about, yeah, like I'm a huge proponent of making sure that students with IEPs are at the table at those meetings. I'm a huge proponent of student with 504s being at those meetings. And from a young age, we need to, at a very young age, start to give students some voice and some choice. And that can be incredibly empowering to them. And it can be incredibly eye-opening for the adults in the room as well. Well, and what that takes my, I mean, what idea that's giving me is really looking at outside of the classroom, our communities, our clubs, our organizations uh, on school sites from elementary all the way through or early elementary all the way to high school, right? Especially going into middle school and high school where we have students that start to really become part of organizations and decision makers for the student body, for the community of school and sports, etc. Bringing kids, making sure that there's representation and kids with disabilities at the table in student government and other organizations is a really important part of lifting the voices of the disability community. So important in recognizing, however, if we have not created a socially inclusive community at our school, that students with disabilities may not be the ones that are willing to get on stage and or, or feel comfortable getting on stage and running an election to be part of student council or something like that. Absolutely. So if our, if our community isn't socially inclusive, we are automatically or inherently excluding students from even participating because we haven't built that community. And so we may have to be creative or think about other ways to engage those voices. Right, right. Good point. Well, Sam, as always, such a pleasure. Every time we talk, I learn more and more from you. So thank you for joining and engaging in this crucial conversation. And thanks to our listeners for engaging in this work and continuing their efforts to become inclusion allies and inclusion change makers. 
Thanks, Janelle. And I'm an honor to be a part of, you know, this this movement and this work. And uh, likewise, always enjoy our conversations. And I always walk away from them just feeling, you know, more engaged and more um, motivated for the progress that we're going to make collaboratively to support schools and support communities uh, to create more inclusive societies for everybody. There you go. The work continues. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Sip and Sam Inclusion Coffee Talk. We're creating an inclusion revolution. So subscribe, follow, and join us on the front lines. To never miss an episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. To inspire others to become an inclusion ally, please rate our podcast and share it with others. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Sip Inclusion. Thanks so much for listening and we look forward to you joining our next episode.